0: Okay. Good evening, everybody. Hope everyone had a, uh, a good beginning of the week. You know, technically Tuesday night is uh, that trans- transformative uh, evening of the week because until Tuesday night, we can always uh, until Tuesday night we can always still make Havdullah for for the previous Shabbat, and uh, we begin getting ready for the next Shabbat on Wednesday. So. Um, This is, in a way, the midweek point. So, um, we're going to get right to it. We are all familiar with the Haftorah. Uh, The Haftorah is uh, is a big part of the uh, Bar Mitzvah process for people. Um, And this week, we're going to talk a little bit about this week's Haftorah and the connection to this week's Torah portion. But first, a little refresher of what the Haftorah is, where the Haftorah comes from, and why we read the Haftorah. So uh, we we don't have time to get into too much detail, but we read the Torah every Shabbat, the actual Torah, the Chumash, the Bible. We read it every week. It goes back to to Moses that uh, instituted that the Jewish people should read the Torah and, 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 and remind themselves, there's a whole process how the, the, the portions were split up. And as far as the Torah is concerned, which is the, the, the add-on to the weekly Torah portion that uh, we read every, every single weekend. So we'll take a look at our first source for tonight, I will share the screen. The reason we read the Haftorah is explained in Tishbi, root 289. He found a source which stated that the evil Antiochus, the Syrian Greek king, decreed that the Torah not be read in public. What did the Jews do? read a segment of the prophets that was similar to the Torah portion of that Shabbat. In our day, although the decree has been rescinded, the custom has been preserved. So that's the, the basic background For why we read Haftorah, let's take a look at this week. This week's Torah portion, and uh, and 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 have a little uh, refresher of what this week's Torah portion speaks about, and then we'll get to the Haftorah. So, basic. The basic highlight of this week's portion is we have the famous historical event of the splitting of the sea. Moshe, I'm reading from the citation, Moshe and the Israelites, and, and following the splitting of the sea, this awesome, amazing miracle, we have the the uh, the song, the song that the Jewish people sang, Moshe and the Israelites, source 5, Moshe and the Israelites then sang this song to God, it went, I will sing to God for his great victory, horse and rider he threw into the sea, referring to the Egyptians of course, and The Torah goes on to share this special song that was sung by the Jewish people at that moment that they broke out in in unison and expression of their appreciation and thankfulness to God. And then the Torah tells us, Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the drum in her hand and all the women followed her with drums and dancing. Miriam led them in the response, sing to God for his great victory, horse and rider he threw into the sea. So it wasn't enough that the men sung a song, but the woman also sung a song, thanking God for this great miracle that had happened, and they actually took drums and started dancing with a lot of excitement and energy and passion. So that's the highlight of this week's Torah portion. If we take a look at the, the Haftorah, what does the Haftorah speak about? Source 6, Deborah saying, as well as Barak, son of Abinoam, on that day saying, when vengeance, 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 vengeance are inflicted upon Israel and the people dedicates itself to God, blessed the Lord. Now, so basically, what is the story? What is the, uh, the, the half Torah? The half Torah of this week's Torah portion talks about uh, Devorah, Deborah, when she was victorious over the, the Pelishtim, the Philistines, and she sung a song. However, what's interesting about this is that the, we have multiple songs that were sung throughout Jewish history. We find many different songs that were sung. For example, the next citation, source 7, is David spoke to God the words of the song on the day God delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. King David, David Amelech, when he had his challenging time with Saul, and after he came out victorious, he goes ahead and makes his own shira, his own song of praise to God, thanking God for the miracle that happened to him. So the question that we need to understand is, why... Does the Haftorah, why was the Haftorah set to be the story of Devorah specifically versus it being a story of King David giving praise or another type of song that we sung? There's other examples throughout Tanakh of songs being sung. Wouldn't that be more appropriate if the Torah, the the actual Torah portion, speaks about the songs of the Jewish man and the Jewish woman? So we need to understand... Uh, why this is, and the the, the uh, talk tonight of the Rebbe. Every every week we have a different piece from a talk of the Rebbe. This is from a talk that the Rebbe gave in 1958, and um, this specific talk is not just a talk that the Rebbe gave, which was transcribed. The Rebbe later edited it as well, um, and years later, in 1992. He gave this, this talk was edited and it was put in together with uh, a whole booklet, which I have right over here. I, I had the, uh, the great opportunity to receive this from the Rebbe along with a few few, few thousand other people on the yard side of his wife, uh, the Rebetson. And uh, this booklet is, uh, is, has, is a compilation of a bunch of talks of the Rebbe on the role of the Jewish woman, on the role of the woman in Judaism and, uh, and this talk that, that we're going to talk about tonight is included in that booklet. And the Rebbe related a story of the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, who asked this very same question. He asked this question, he says, from all the songs in Tanakh throughout the, 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 the scriptures, why was that song of Devorah chosen of a woman's singing a song? And the Alt Rebbe gave an answer, the, the first Chabad Rebbe. And what he said was that the reason why it was chosen is because the woman's singing had more passion, the woman sung with more energy, the woman sung with more enthusiasm. And therefore, in, in, in recognition of that, and in, in, in to, to recognize that, the, the Torah was chosen to be of a woman's song. But the Rebbe digs deeper and he says, But why did the woman? With more passion. What was it that 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 why did the woman get on to get there with the drums and the tambourines and get all get all excited about this? It's more than the men. They both experienced the same thing. They both saw the splitting of the sea happen in front of their eyes. Why was it that the woman expressed that more than the men? And the Evan makes the following point. I'll share this screen with you, and we'll, we'll read the, uh, the, 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 the words, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. He says as follows. The answer is quite simple. When we receive something without investing effort, it is impossible to experience the same level of joy and gratification as an individual who worked long and hard to attain the same exact thing. Our sages say, reward comes according to the anguish. The joy and satisfaction will always reflect the effort and toil that had been invested. When the Israelites left Egypt and sang praise to God for their salvation, the men could not have possibly felt the same sense of joy that Miriam and the woman felt at that moment. The worst of the Egyptian persecution began during Miriam's childhood. The greatest atrocity was the drowning the newborn boys in the Nile. All of their suffering, slaving away and in inhuman conditions, paled in comparison to the terrible decree of the killing of the newborns. Our sages also related that this case, a different atrocity occurred. And by the way, this point is a lot less known. It's on the DL, as uh, students would say. This point, the following point. And that is, unfortunately, that Pharaoh would bathe in the blood of Jewish children. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, what that was all about, why he did that. But the point here is, this is experienced by mothers more than fathers. Therefore, when they finally escaped, Pharaoh and his evil decrees, the joy of the woman was far greater. What's the story about the bathing and the blood? So here's the, the, the verse from the Torah, from the, from the, from the, from the Pasuk. Pharaoh gave orders to his people, every, every boy who was born must be cast into the Nile, but every girl should be allowed to live. And the Midrash tells us, source 9, during those many days, they are called many because they were days of suffering. What happened? The king of Egypt died. He was inflicted with leprosy and the leper is considered dead. The Israelites were groaning. Why were they groaning? Because the Egyptian wise men told Pharaoh, that his only cure was to slaughter 150 Israelite infants each morning and evening and bathe in their blood. When the Israelites heard this terrible decree, they began to groan and grieve. So basically, the point here is that the the tremendous suffering, the pain, the anguish, the experience, the trauma of what had happened in Egypt, was experienced by the woman profoundly more than the men. Not because it was more painful physically for the woman than for the men. They both experienced the same thing happening to their children. But it was it, it hurt and it was felt a lot more, the pain was felt a lot more by the woman than by the men. And so therefore it was only natural that once they had completed the splitting of the seed. Which essentially, the splitting of the sea was the end of leaving Egypt. Because so long as they didn't get through the sea, the Egyptians could always run after them. So there was not a complete exodus until they got through the sea. Once they got through the sea, the Egyptians were drowned. It was only a natural expression that the women expressed themselves with the tambourines and the drums, having, having internalized that experience in such a more profound and deeper way. When they went through the experience of Eretz and um, I just to share two stories, two quick anecdotes that that you know that talk about this idea of, of in general the role of the Jewish woman. Um, those of you who um, who uh, who know my mother uh, are, are very familiar with this topic. Uh, she has been cl- called the Hasidic feminist. And it's something that uh, was really a natural um, outbirth of her uh, of her work here on campus at Binghamton. She wasn't always this feminist or whatever, um, but through working here in Binghamton, and she just had a lot of questions, and she was thinking about things and trying to understand the role of the Jewish woman and the role of the Jewish woman in observance in Judaism. And that led her to just learn more about it and write about it and talk about it. Um, so just a few a few points that I want to um uh, uh point out to um share uh, that it's important to to remember and I also will uh I'm going to leave you guys with a link to a video um of a 4 minute uh clip of a woman named professor susan handelman if any of you ever heard of her before uh her talking about her she was a, a writer and she uh, had a very interesting experience on studying uh feminism in Judaism and and specifically philosophy, but just a few important points. Is um, number one is uh, from when the Rebbe assumed leadership. Just uh, this past Shabbat was uh, seventy-one years from when the Rebbe uh, assumed the leadership of Chabad, and from day one, he always made uh, emphasized the importance of the uh, of of the um, of the Jewish woman. Sorry about that of the Jewish woman, not just in life, but in, in, in observance, and in prominence, and in their status. One of the first organizations that the Rebbe established when he became Rebbe was the Chabad Women's Organization. That was one of the first organizations that he established right away in the beginning. And he would very often emphasize the idea that Hashem chose the woman in each family and entrusted them with the child raising of the children. Now, obviously, there are exceptions to the rule. There are stay-at-home dads. Yes, it's true, and there are women that uh, are, are are not the ones that raise their children necessarily. But by and large, generally speaking, this is Hashem entrusted the woman, and it was not for no reason that Hashem entrusted the woman with raising children. Um, children are primarily influenced by their by their mother, and we see that. Mothers have a special uh, warmth, gentleness, and sensitivity that is found by, by mothers, generally speaking, more so than by than by fathers, um, and that's something that we see expressed in this in this week's parsha and, and in the Haftorah being the haftorah being named after the woman in recognizing the woman in, in the haftarah. Just two quick stories I want to share is number one is one of the first Chabad emissaries that went out. Um, in the 1960s, I believe, was Rabbi and Mrs. Feller. They went to establish Chabad presence in Minnesota, and um, Rabbi Moshe and Mindy Feller. And uh, so Rabbi Feller was meeting with the rabbis, uh, uh, the rabbi's main secretary, Rabbi Chadekov at the time, and uh, he said, okay, so you know, he was telling him what's going on, and then he said, what should my wife do? Now, where was that question coming from? Because at that time in the 1960s, I know it's hard for us to appreciate that today. But in the 1960s, it was unheard of that this whole role of a Rebetzin or like the rabbi's wife could have a completely different job, can do something totally different, as you probably know, in many, in many, uh, in many uh, congregations that the rabbi, will do one thing, and, and his wife will be engaged with something else. So he, had, he was just asking an innocent question, what should my wife do when we get to Minnesota? And Rabbi Kharikov left the room for, for two minutes, went in to speak with the Rebbe, came back, and he said, the Rebbe said as follows, he says, your wife has the same exact mission as you. Whatever you do with the men, she should be doing with the woman. There is no difference. And um, again, today we take it for granted. You know, when you say there's five thousand shluchim, there's really ten thousand shluchim because every shliach is together with a shlucha. And again, you know, those of you that are that are that are uh, uh, here in this class definitely know that and see that how uh, the 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 rabbi and their spouse, their wife, are equally together important. And you know, uh, in certain certain times and certain ways. Um, the 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 the, 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 Rebetzin, the shlucha, uh, in certain ways can be even more of a face or of a, a presence than the shliach, which sometimes could have to do simply with personality preferences between them. But it's not about an inherent role or position or status from a Jewish perspective or a Hasidic perspective, and definitely not from the Rebbe's perspective. One last quick story. Um, uh, this story happened with a, a woman named... Elise Zlatnik, Her husband, his name was Rabbi Dov Zlatnik, and at the time this story took place in 1964. He was uh, teaching at the JTS, the Jewish Theological Seminary, um, and he uh, decided to start a class on Shabbat afternoon teaching the Talmud. It started small and it quickly grew. They had about 15 participants coming on a weekly basis. He was sharing this with the Rebbe. He had a relationship with the Rebbe, although JTS is a conservative Institution, but you know, the Rebbe was connected to Jews of all from all backgrounds, and he told the Rebbe what was going on. The Rebbe turned to him and said, What do the women do during this time? So he said, The woman basically at that time they're in the kitchen preparing food for Sudash lishit for the third Shabbat meal. So the Rebbe said, That's not good enough. And the Rebbe told him that his wife needs to start a class for the woman at that same time, and he came home and he told his wife, he says, all right, you got to start a class at And She's like, I don't even know where to begin. You're going to have to sit with me and help me and prepare me and, you know, get me ready for this class. Anyhow, she realized that if the Rebbe said that that's what she has to do, she has to do that. And she she started giving the class a few times, and the rabbi from uh, Riverdale Jewish Center at the time contacted her and said, can you come give the class by us in the Riverdale Jewish Center? And uh, she was giving the class for over 25, 30 years. She was giving the class. It was a very popular class. So these are just two little anecdotal stories. I mean, also, as I was, you know, reading this talk of the Rebbe and thinking about it, I, it also came to mind something that the Rebbe said often about Purim, which is in just a few weeks, believe it or not, that uh, we know that the Megillah is called, Megillat Esther, it's not called Megillat Mordechai and Esther, it's not called the Megillah of Mordechai and Esther, it's called the Megillah of Esther, Esther's Megillah, even though Mordechai was also an important player and an important figure in the story of Purim, of course, but at the end of the day, the Megillah is called after Esther because she was the hero, she was the one, and again, she was the one who experienced it more and that was expressed in the story. So um, a couple of takeaways in in, in addition to the main takeaway about understanding and appreciating the the role of the Jewish woman in life and in what they experienced in Mitzrayim, there's also the the general idea of um, of, of what you experience and what you put into something is what you're gonna take out. And according to the investment is going to be the celebration and the appreciation like anything in life. Um, Thank you guys for joining. And I want to wish you a great rest of your week. I'm going to share the ch- in the chat right now a link to, uh, to another uh, story uh, uh, of someone sharing their encounter on, uh, on Jewish feminism. I shared the link there so you can click on it. And, uh, yeah, if anybody has any questions or anything they want to share, anything they want to uh, share with us, please unmute yourself and the floor is yours. Otherwise, we're good. Thank you, Rabbi. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome, everybody. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you. Night. Thank you, Rabbi. You're welcome. You're welcome. Have a good night. Take care. Bye. (laughs) Bye.